So with that, we'll, we'll get going here. I, I've been reading a book. I'm going to recommend another book to you today. This is what my, my monthly book recommendation that no one ever reads. You know, I mean, I tell you guys good books and you don't read them, but uh, someday you will. So I'm reading this book called The End of Religion. Uh, I tell you, I just love this. It is so good. This guy makes me cry. Um, his name is Bruxy, Bruxy Cabby. Uh, there's th- he's, uh, he's a hippie. I like that. I love hippies. He's a long-haired hippie guy. I like that. He's Canadian. I don't like that so much. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't really not like Canadians. I just like to make fun of Canadians. But, but great, great book. And I'm actually going to be uh, sharing today and probably the next three to four weeks uh, some stuff sort of out of that book, kind of following it loosely. Uh, so you might, if you want to, you can... I know you won't, but you could pick that up and, uh, and, and read along and, and kind of, you know, I recommend doing that as well. So the, the title, uh, the book is called The End of Religion. I, I changed that a little bit. My title of my little series is Religion or Relationship, You Decide. And uh, so today what I want to do is just kind of a brief introduction, sort of some context for what I'm thinking, what I want to share, maybe some definitions, and then we'll sort of build on that. Uh, a little more biblically uh, next week. Religion is one of those words in our language. I, I was trying to think of other ones. I couldn't really think of any, but it, it, it means different things to different people. You know what I mean? And it's also uh, changed meaning over time. Sort of the meaning of the word has evolved and changed. Uh, I, I think historically, traditionally, the word religion was, was maybe... a a good word. It, it was. It had a positive connotation. Uh, today, it doesn't have such a positive connotation. Although, in some cases, it might. Some sometimes I'll be talking to someone, and they might say something like, "Well, I had a religious experience," and and typically, what they mean by that is they had an experience with God. Somehow, they encountered God in the course of their life, and it was it, usually when someone says that, it was a positive thing that happened to them. So in that, in that sense, it's used in a good way. We probably, I wouldn't, most of us here, I don't think, would use that language. We would say, I experienced God, or I had a worship experience, or so, something along those lines. Uh, I felt the presence of God in my life. But somebody might say, I had a religious experience. You might refer to another person, uh, someone might refer to someone in conversation, and say, so-and-so is a very religious person. And they don't mean that in a bad way. They mean that in a very positive way. What they mean is that they're, they're a devout person. They're a person of faith. They're, they're, they're a person who really lives their life uh, seeking after God. So they mean it positively. But in, in other circles today, and in, in, you know, uh, kind of in the, in the church at large, the word religion has, has really become almost a dirty word. It, it's, it's negative. It's synonymous with criticism with uh, different forms of spiritual abuse, with uh, judgment, judgmentalism, and sometimes just what I would really call a mean-spiritedness. There's just a a mean-spiritedness that that takes place. And there's a whole lot of other things that religion has come to mean that that are not, uh, not very nice, not very loving, and in my estimation, not really what, what Jesus sought to bring into the world. Uh, that's, just, that, that's, that's my opinion. I, I think that Jesus sought to bring certain things into the world. And a lot of what I see in the name of religion 
uh, I think that's really not what he had in mind. Uh, true confessions today, a little bit. I'll be honest. To just you know, sometimes when I think about and when I consider a lot of what I've seen, both historically, but not just historically, also probably for me more currently in the world today, um, what I see, I, I really want to distance myself from that a little bit. And when I say, see in the name of, of Christianity, see in the name of, of religion, and I'm going to talk about the Christian religion uh, pretty much because that's who we are. That's what we identify with. That's what we relate to. Other religions, I think, probably have similar dynamics involved with them. Um, I don't have, I don't care about that. I mean, I care, but I, I, I don't want to talk about that as much because I really have no part in that. That's, that's, Christianity is what I identify with and so and what we identify with. So I want to focus our attention on that. But when I see a lot of what happens, I want to distance myself from that a little bit. It, it saddens me. It grieves me at times. And sometimes this actually happens. I find this is true. I'm just really being honest here. Sometimes when I talk to somebody, I'm a little reluctant to tell them that I'm a pastor because if I've talked to them at all and I kind of know where they're coming from and know that they might identify being a pastor with sort of that negative aspect of religion, I don't want them to identify me with that. I don't want them to think I'm another person who's going to be critical or judgmental or mean-spirited towards them. Uh, it's, it's not that I don't want them to know that I love Jesus or that I follow him or serve in the church, but I, I don't want them to identify me with some of those things. Uh, that's just being, being really, really honest. So, so for the, the sake of this series and what I want to share with you guys, I'm going to use the word religion in this sense. It's any system of rules, regulations, rituals, or routines used as a conduit to God. When we, here's what happens, and I hope over the course of the series I'm able to communicate uh, accurately to you guys. Rules, regulations, rituals, and routines aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when they take precedence and those become the focus, I think, we, we tend to get off base a little bit. When those things become institutionalized and they, be, they become what we become about, to be honest, it can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. So when I talk about religion in this series, that's what I'm going to talk about. Re religion is a word also. It's not used, uh, honestly, in the Bible very often. Uh, you know how different translations translate different words differently and all that stuff. But in the NIV, which we typically use here, uh, the word religion only shows up five times in the whole Bible. Uh, generally, in a negative context, it's generally when the word religion is used, it's, it's referencing that, that, that the people of God have somehow placed those rules, regulations, rituals, routines above relationship with God and gotten off base. The one place where it's used in a more positive context, but also, I think, almost rhetorically as a way to really make a point, is in the, the book of James. And I want to take a look at that and read that together. Because I think it's a verse that you guys are familiar with. James says in chapter 1, Those who consider themselves as religious and yet do not keep a tight rein in their tongues deceive themselves, their religion is worthless. Again, he's identifying a specific behavior, a behavior pattern 
with being religious. And then he follows up with this. Religion that our fa- uh, God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what is religion that God wants? What, what is the religion that God looks for? It's really to live a loving life. That's what it really is. It's to live a loving life. It, it, it doesn't say religion that God our Father accepts is to go to church every week or, or to tithe. I, I think it should say to tithe. It doesn't. Um, just saying. doesn't say I have to study the Bible and memorize X number of verses. It doesn't say I have to pray two hours a day. Uh, n- n- not at all. It, it says it's to live a loving life. It's to care for those in need. It's to care for those that are less fortunate than you. And, that, and, and really, widows and orphans, I don't think it, you know, is talking specifically about just widows and orphans. I think it's talking about those people that don't have an ability to really care for themselves. They need help because th- there's really no opportunity, no, no possibility for them to really care for themselves. Would you care for them? I also wanted to mention the second half of that verse, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I, this is one of the three verses that I like better in New American Standard than <laughs> NIV. New American Standard says, keep oneself unstained by the world. And, and again, very often I think that verse uh, is used to mean keep oneself Free from sin. Don't sin. Keep yourself unstained, unpolluted by the world. I, I suppose it, that's a, a, a partial uh, meaning. But what happens when we get something gets polluted or stained? Often it's because the garbage around gets dumped on it, right? Have you ever had anybody spill wine on you? Uh, you know what I mean? You get a stain on your shirt. Or the river, you know, the Willamette gets polluted because people dump crap in it. Uh, so I think it's really what it's saying here. And I, and I also, again, I'll just, I don't think it's saying keep yourself separate from the world. I think the previous verse indicate the part of the verse indicates we're supposed to be, uh, connected and involved in the word. I think what it's saying there really is that the blood of Jesus is the stain remover. That when you get stained, you, you got to get that off. You got to get rid of that. Don't, don't allow those things to seep in. You know, if you, if you wipe a stain off when you first get it on, it might come off. If you let it set, it's probably not. So to do that. There's a, there's a paradox. There's a lot of paradox, actually, in living a Christian life. It, it's, it's a life of paradox, to be quite honest. But here's part of it. Part of the paradox is this, that we are the people who get up and go to church every Sunday because we don't have to. That, that we are the people who do read the Bible and memorize verses because we don't have to. That, w- that we are the people who do pray and often feel like we can't pray enough because we don't have to. That's, that's really the paradox. Because we realize uh, somewhere in here, uh, not just in here, but in here, that grace says all those things that religion says you have to do, they're already done. All those things that religion says you have to do to, to get right with God. If you don't do the, you have to do this to get right with God. Grace says Jesus already did them. They're all, they're all already done. It's already, it's already been done. Jesus says the pressure's off. The pressure's off. You don't have to do anything. 
You don't have to do anything to find me. You don't have to do anything to get to me. You don't have to do anything to get right with me. I, I came to you. I came to you. God is here. You don't have to look for me, search for me, find me, do anything to climb up any kind of ladder to me. I came to you. That's the whole meaning of the word Emmanuel. God is with us. He came to us. Grace says, even at your very worst, I'll still love you. Even at your very worst, I'll still love you. You can... You can beat me up, you can spit on me, you can kill me, and, and I'm going to die praying for your forgiveness. That's what it says. And then you know what? After that, I'm going to come back again. And I'm not going to come back to get revenge. I'm going to come back just in case you didn't get it. I want to tell you I love you again and again See, that's not religion. Think about it for a minute. If, if you think of ancient culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, mythology, all that, there's a lot of movies about it and stories about it. Maybe you took classes in school. In Greek mythology or, or any of that ancient culture, uh, the stories, if a god gets killed and then comes back to life, what happens? Well, they come back with a big-ass sword and they hunt down the person that killed them and they cut off their head. That's what happens. That's what they do. I can say that. It's my truth. (laughs) But that's the truth. That's what they do. They come back to hunt down the person that killed them. They come back to get revenge. (laughs) Jesus turned that thing upside down and said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a different story about a God dying. See, here's the thing. For Christians, realistically, the cross isn't just a symbol. It's not an emblem. It's not something just that we wear around our neck or have tattooed on our arm or our leg. The cross is a place that we look to and remember, even if I do my very worst, He's still going to love me. That's, that's why we have the cross. It's, it's a place we can look to and say, I remember when I see that, that no matter what I do, he still loves me. That's what it's all about. I'll do a little history lesson right now. I find this very interesting. You guys probably won't. You're not as weird as me. Um, high school, uh, you know, w- w- history. I don't know what you call it, the you know, world history or whatever, but you remember Neanderthal man? That's not my senior picture. Uh, that's, that's an actual photograph of a real Neanderthal man. No, I don't think it is. I think it's a wax dummy in a museum. But Neanderthal man, when, when, when they buried their, their uh, people, that's a burial. When Neanderthal man uh, did a burial, they, they buried people in the fetal position. They, they tied them up in a fetal position, and they put in their grave with them Food and tools and weapons. Neanderthal man, cavemen. Why did they do that? Because they, they believed, they really believed, this is, I mean, this is pre-anything, they really believed that, that, that when you die, you were going to be reborn again into another life. That's what they believed. That you would be reborn again in, into another life. 
because they, they thought, they believed, there's something inside that really it's inherent, it's, it's in us. There's something inside every single human being. To be human, there's, there's something that says, I, I, I got to connect with God. There's a, it's not just this life, this body. There's a spirit, there's something here that's connecting with God. There's more than just this life that I live. I love Michael Andrew. I mean, I love that picture. Because there's something inside of us that says, I got to reach out, I got to touch God, I got to be next to him. Why is that there? What, how did that get in there? It's because we're created in the image of God. God put that in us. He created us with that longing. God is relational, and we'll talk about this next week. God is relational by nature, and so are we because we're created in, in his image. There's something inside of every single human being that's ever lived that desperately, desperately wants to connect with God. And uh, you know what? Here, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I saw a lady yesterday with a hat on, friendly atheist. And, and uh, I, I didn't get into it with her, but there are no true atheists. I just said they're all liars. Uh, because somewhere inside, they, they, you know, you can shut stuff down, you shut it down, but somewhere deep inside, there's, there's a sense that there's something out there, and I really do want to find it. So here's the thing, here's my point of all this. Religion taps into that. Religion understands that that longing, that need to connect is there. But what happens is then we, we try to formulize that. We try to institutionalize it. We try to package it, you know, so we can reproduce it and sell it. And, and what happens is it just, it turns into those rules and regulations and routines really, really quickly. And I don't think it was ever intended to be that. I don't think it was ever intended to be formulaic or institutional. I think it was intended to be relational. Grace says, I don't, Grace says, I don't have to worry. I don't have to, to fret and strive and be anxious about uh, a judgment day that's, that is in the future one day that's going to happen where I will be judged and maybe, if I, you know, possibly, I'll, 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 I'll pass the test. I don't have to worry about that. That's religion. That's what religion says. If I'm really, really good, and if I work really, really hard, then maybe I'll get to go to heaven when I die. Grace says, judgment already happened. It's over. It's done. It's been found in your favor. You win. That's what Jesus says. God, through Jesus, says, I, I, I want you to know I love you. I embrace you. I welcome you right now. Right now. However you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, I don't care about any of that. I'll, I'll, I love you right now. I accept you right now. Here's, I like this. Jesus clicks, drags, and drops. I love, to me, the whole computer thing is just so amazing. You have this over here, and you go, and you move it over here, now it's over here. Jesus says, I'm taking the future. I'm taking what will one day happen, and I'm just clicking, dragging, and dropping right in the present right now. Someday you get that whole life, guess what? You can have it right now. I'll just bring it over here. That's what he does. That's the kingdom of God. That's what we talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the reign of God, the, the thing that will one day be completed beginning right now. It's happening right now. What kind of life? Here's the thing. I, you know, I, I, the whole idea, the heaven thing, we float around on a cloud and sing songs. I'm one of those people. I said, that, that sounds ridiculous. That's the most boring thing I can imagine. I don't want to float around on a cloud and sing songs for my whole life. And I don't have to do that. There's so much more. God has so much more. 
What kind of eternal life do you want? Really, what kind of eternal life do you want? Think about it for a minute. Do you want a life of peace? Well, you can start living a life of peace right now. Do you want a life of, of love where there's no hate and there's no war and there's none of that? Well, just start, just enter into that right now. You can start living lovingly right now. You can start loving people around you right now. You don't have to wait. It's, 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 it's all available to us right now. That's what grace says. It's, it's, it's so different. Religion says that we do what we do for salvation. Everything we do is for salvation. Here's what grace says. Grace says we do what we do for celebration. For celebration. It's a celebration of the truth of who God is. That's what, that's what grace says. We, we don't go to church because we have to go to church. We go to church to celebrate what God's doing in our lives. That's what we do. We don't read the Bible because we have to. We read the Bible because when we read the Bible, we're reminded how good God is. And we can celebrate what he's already done in our lives. We don't pray because we have to pray. We pray because it reminds us it's a celebration that I can talk to God whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want. I want to talk about worship for a minute. We in the vineyard, we love worship. It's part of who we are. It's, you know, all that stuff. We, it's good. It's all good. Um, we don't sing songs to get God's attention, Okay. He's, he, sometimes we remember that, we pray, you know, let your presence come. God's already here. We don't need to get his attention. He's awake. It's in the Bible. He's not sleeping. He's not in the bathroom. He's not preoccupied. He's here. Uh, we don't sing songs to get God's attention. We don't try to win him over by singing songs to him. R- really, what we do when we're singing is we're just entering into the romance that's already going on. That's what we're doing. Worship is, we talk about a lifestyle of worship. There's so many ways we can worship God. You can worship God through your service, right? When you, when you serve. Yesterday we served. That's a form of worship. You can worship God through giving and tithing. That's another way we can, we can worship God. We can worship God um, just with the attitude of our hearts. You can, you can be nice. You can let that guy in instead of cutting him off. That's, you know, you, that can be an act of worship, all, all of those things. But here's the thing about when we worship in song, when we're gathered together, really, that, what makes that so special? That's the romantic part of the relationship, okay? That's what that is. That's, that's the romance, you know? It, I was thinking about it. This is terrible, but I'm going to say it. Anyway, in the 70s, you know, the, 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 the cool bachelor would turn the lights down and turn on the very white music, you know, and that's kind of so we turn the lights down, we just sing love songs to Jesus. I mean, but it's a, it's a romance. It's a, it's a, it really is. That's the romantic part of the thing. We, we don't sing those songs to God because God is a megalomaniac who says, you have to bow down to me. You have to remind me how awesome I am all the time. No, God is a lover who likes to be told, I love you. How many people like that? How many like to hear that? Yeah, God likes that too. And, and that's all that's happening. When we're, when we're worshiping, we're singing those songs. We're just saying, I love you. That's all it is. That's all it is. It, it, it's our response to what God has done for us. It's not a one-way street. See, that's, I think, again, we think, well, we're just telling God, I love you, I love you. We're, all we're doing is responding back to the love that God is constantly, constantly, continually pouring into our lives, Okay. That's, that's what we're doing. God is saying, I love you all the time, 
all the time. Sometimes we don't hear him. Sometimes we don't pay attention, but he's saying it all the time. We're driving down the freeway, uh, this, you know, and you look up, and you see Mount Hood, and you go, oh. And God says, yeah, I put that there because I thought you'd like it. It's just, it's just a little love note. That's a little love note from you. Turn, you turn the radio on, a song comes on, and it touches you. It touches your heart. It makes you cry. God said, I just thought I'd remind you I love you today. You walk in here, and somebody gives you a hug and says an encouraging word to you. And you know what? God's just saying, hey, that's just me letting you know I love you again. Over and over and over. All the time, all the time. So when we worship, all we're doing is responding back to that love that he's pouring into us all the time. God's saying all the time. Here's what God says to you today. You exist, you're here, you breathe because I wanted you to. God says you exist because here's why. I couldn't imagine being in a world where you didn't exist. I wanted you to be here so bad. I, I wanted to share all who I am with you so bad. I just I had to make you. I had to create you. I couldn't imagine being in a world where you I love that. It's an old thing, the little, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. He really doesn't. He doesn't make mistakes. He made, he made us because he wanted to make us. He made us just the way we are because that's, he just, that's, he wanted to do that. We, we, we love, we have any capacity to love in our hearts. Why do we have that? Because God first loved us. All we are is reflecting back what he's done and who he is. We, we're really, when we love, we're just walking out life in the image of God. That's what we're doing. So, that was probably a little fragmented. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but that's really my introduction. That's kind of a, that's where I want to go. I want to talk, next week I'm going to talk about the origin of religion, and then, and then I'll talk about the advancement of religion, and then in a couple of weeks about the end of religion, and, and, and how we can live a life in relationship rather than in religion. Um, and we will look at scripture more next week. But I want to end with this today. And you guys can stand, and if the worship team would come up, and then I want to read a passage to you that we'll close with. Here's, uh, this is the message. Yeah, you know, again, somebody told me really earlier this week that religion, some people think you're going to go to hell if you read the message. I'm going to read it just because. I, I like it. Peterson says this. This is Matthew 11, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of it. He just, he kills it right here. I tell you, he just kills it right here. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this. This is, this is the, worth the price of admission. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So that's what we're talking about, and that's, that's what we want to try to look at over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to ask these guys to lead us in a closing song, and then we'll pray.